Let's just do it. All right. Okay. Yeah. We'll just we'll just do the intro. Welcome to Go Write Yourself, the only podcast dedicated to telling you off. Get telling you off. Yeah. Telling you off for saying on your for saying on your lazy ass. Get up. Stop listening to this podcast and go write yourself. Yes, there we go. So, we have a topic today. Right, today's podcast is all about just doing it. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. What, you, what, what are you waiting it. around oh for? Oh my god. Like, oh my god. Like, why? Yeah. yeah. But, what have you been waiting to do? What have I been waiting to do? What have you been holding off your whole entire life? My whole entire life. You two people at home, take out a ped. Ped? And take a ped take and a, a labor. Take a ped and a neighbor. <laughs> and uh, go find right. out what you yeah, really want right to do. What have, you, what have you been avoiding doing today? Mm, today. Oh, today I think I've been avoiding. I was avoiding um, doing a lot of uh, stuff for this uh, job application that I was filling out, uh, which actually was very important. And mm-hmm. uh, But today I did actually get online and uh, it required a lot of research. Did you just do it? Yeah, I just did it. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think I was very good at it. That's the problem. Mm. Is that uh, is probably probably this job that I'm applying for. I don't have the necessary skills that okay. uh, that they'll be looking for, but I'm gonna learn how to do it, and then apply, and then uh, by the time they interview me, I will have the skills that uh, that they're looking See, for. See, that's a really good idea. I'm trying to find that quote by Steve Jobs where he said something like, "If someone gives you." Uh, presents you with a excellent opportunity just like say yes and take the skills get the skills that you need to rise to it it might have been him it might have been Richard Branson yeah. uh, but it was a quote from somebody distinguished who was very rich mm-hmm. apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I'm doing I, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to learn it's it, it's a lot of stuff I'm trying to learn how to be a, like a, a, a content auditor which mm-hmm. is a, a lot of information dealing with like uh, 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 spreadsheets and uh, search engine optimization and stuff for it's basically like a just a higher uh, position at the uh, at the website at the clickbait website that I'm working mm-hmm. for so uh, I'm just trying to learn how to get that skill mm-hmm. and then at one point uh, hopefully by the time they contact me back or uh, I'll have the knowledge uh, necessary to impress them much better than uh, just. I have enough. Okay, I'll do this. I had enough research today to write a cover letter and an email to them that would say, "Wow, this guy clearly knows what he's talking about." Right. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't. I will in a week. I, well, I mean, that's if they don't listen to this podcast and go, oh, right, right this guy's a loser. Uh, <laughs> but you no, know nobody's listening to this But I, that's the willingness to, that, that shows the willingness to do what it takes. And that's the important thing, is the willingness. Not yeah, that. because you've got a developmental state of mind and some people just will do the minimum necessary. I think one of the problems is you cannot get good at things unless you do them. And you don't want to do them because you're not that good at them yet. And mm. uh, I guess people will get annoyed when you say, look, just do it. Because they'll be like, if I could just do it, I would have done it already. And that's so, not necessarily true either. People mm. say a lot of things and then they don't get off their fat butt. Well, I mean, there's definitely things that I don't feel competent enough to do. And I think that's one of the things that puts people off. Um, 
I think one of the reasons why... People... I mean, I wouldn't fight a lion, you know? Yeah. I don't feel confident enough to do that. But, but also, you don't want to be a lion tamer. But what yeah. if... What if, you know, your dream was to be a lion tamer? Hell, what if your dream was to be a writer? <laughs> but you just... Yeah. You just... You weren't happy <laughs> enough topic, with your... Yeah. You weren't happy enough with your ability to write, and the fact that you couldn't reach your own exacting standards put you off. So you never got started... And you never became a writer. Mm. And then you grew old into, you, you sat uh, in the terrible uh, uh, twilight. Yes, the terrible twilight of your years uh, in the senior citizen's home uh, for and which you were now. If only I, I could have been a contender, Charlie. You should have looked out for me and all that, you know. the What? No, I'm not getting that reference. Oh wow! <laughs> the, the people, the people on the show are lamenting your poor uh, oh, my knowledge of a well-known cult, culture pop oh, culture no. reference. I'm so sorry from the movie on show. along the Watchtower featuring Marlon Brando. Oh, um, it's never a big fan of Marlon Brando. <laughs> well, people have various complaints about him as an actor. Mm. Maybe we can circle back to that another time. Well, one of the things <laughs> I thought was. The reason why people get into a creative pursuit is because they've got good taste and they like fine things like good music or good mm. writing. And they, they, they think they would like to put... They appreciate it and they yeah. want to express... Yeah, they, want, they think, I could do that. I, yes. I, I've got good taste. I could make good stuff. I could write this show better than that person. Yeah. I could and maybe sing in, that song better. And maybe in some ways they could. Yeah. But then when they come to actually do it, what they find out is it takes a long time to become skillful and competent at anything. Very often. And they they do not meet their own taste. They realize, in my head, I know how this should come out, mm-hmm. but I can't make it as good as I thought I could. Yeah. And um, You can't make your fingers yeah. play Mozart instantly. Yeah, you know? and, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of got bored <laughs> of playing the piano at some point, because... Because I'd come to the point where I got the music in my head and I couldn't mm. I couldn't bring myself to spare the hours and hours that it would take to to learn to play the piece when I knew how it should should sound like and I knew what it would sound like if I was competent enough. Yeah. So similarly with writing, it takes time to get as good as you know you could be as a writer. Yes, very true. I think it takes a while. Uh you you know the feeling you might want to express. Well, certainly at the beginning, I I, I knew the feeling and I didn't know the words. Mm. Uh, and when you go back, I think, well, 90% of the time when any writer goes back and reads their previous work, you know they're going to hate what they see. Mm. Um, or see that there's elements of it that are good, but you'd be like, I'd totally rewrite that now. Certainly. But uh, I think what you find, uh, especially when you're at the beginning stages of what you want to do, uh, you find that even when you're sitting there writing, perhaps you haven't, uh, you know, worked out how to express this, or or maybe you'll get the first couple of sentences and you haven't, you don't manage to, uh, kind of complete that circle and, and go all the way to the end with mm. uh, whatever it is you're trying to write. Um, I think a lot of times, depending on what you're writing, you have a great idea and perhaps even great initial motivation. I mean, just just even starting something is I'd say worth commendation. Mm. Uh, but like you find when you get it going that you haven't really um, managed to sculpt the clay in the perfect mm. human form, as it were. Um, 
that definitely comes to like phase two, which is the, I mean, like you were saying, a lot of times this stuff takes discipline and practice, but just doing it, like we said. Yeah. The, the point is you can't actually get, ever get to reach your standards if you don't practice. So the thing is to just do it, like just just start writing and accept that you're going to be bad yeah accept that you're not going to meet, meet meet your own standards at least and i think one of the great things about the internet was people could write a blog two or three hundred words or even for a long time people just practiced writing on social media they got in debates and things like that and they got better at writing mm. and, and better be still if, if you get into a conversation you're like oh that's quite artistic you know you take it the next day and you make it into a blog the same writing you just sharpen it up you improve your style and and there there you had something and then i mean one of the things that i do is i put out excerpts from books and writing in my substack so in a sense if the final piece if it's going to be a book or something like that comes out six months after i wrote that essay i'll get to rewrite that essay again lord i might be a better writer in six months than I am now. You better be. Um, <laughs> I hope I am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, one, what, what things did you, you find that you needed time to improve? For me, one of the things is to write simply is most complicated. It took me so long to get good at writing nice, sharp, short sentences. That is a thing, isn't it? Is that uh, overwriting. overwriting is big. Uh, I mean, a lot of people tend to sit at their keyboards and just uh, lines after lines after lines of, you know, circling around what's essentially the same idea, but expressing it in like mm -hmm. four or five sentences that just doesn't mm -hmm. need to be things. I learned this when I was in elementary school that um, a lot of the books they give you to read uh, in school, like the reason why classic literature is classic literature mm -hmm. is that a lot of these novels and a lot of these uh, great works you know, can be read by, mm -hmm. you know, like five or six year olds. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it doesn't take a very high reading level mm -hmm. to, to read Old Yeller or uh, Treasure Island, Treasure Island mm -hmm. or Tom mm -hmm. Sawyer. Okay. All of those books yeah. have a very, a very simple, um, uh, uh, um, what's the word for, for literary style? A literary style, yes, but like a very simple, like very simple word choice and very simple composition um, when it comes to uh, putting words together. Clearly, I need a lot of practice, um, but it, like these books, these famous, you know, classical books have uh, are very easy to read and but they express things that are very, very deep and very, uh, very incredible, mm -hmm. you know, by just talking simply. And it's just one of the, like, one of the things that makes great writers great by doing it. Yeah. I think a lot of times in, like, literary magazines, you know, when you look at Harper's or The New Yorker or something like that, uh, you'll find people obviously, you know, flexing their literary chops and being complex and being, uh, you know, just good writers for the sake of being good writers. But uh, what you end up with a lot of times the 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 works that sort of endure as it were uh end up being incredibly simple mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the things that only comes with practice as well yeah i mean when i i think that uni really helped because when i went to university 
I still had these big, long, unwieldy sentences, and I had to write for assignments. So having a bunch of assignments every year definitely really helped. And then, as I say, writing theatre reviews, I've said it many times, was the best thing I've ever done for myself as a writer. You know, you have to have an angle. You need to start with a punch. Uh, and, and what I learned from that goes through everything I've done. But I never really liked writing theatre reviews that much. Really? Um, like, like Dorothy Parker said, I love, I hate writing. I love having written. It was one of these things where when I finished them and I read them over, I was like, hmm, that turned out pretty good. Yeah. Right. But this, there, is, this is interesting because I thought you, uh, I thought you, I, I always thought that you enjoyed it. But... Uh, I, I liked it whenever I came out the theater feeling like I'd already half written it in my head. I had an angle, I had a, and I could just sit down and go shwish, 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 shwish. A lot of the time I did it for free tickets. I did it because I wanted to see everything. I wanted to experience the or theater. Doing anything and for like, free tickets yeah, is a good idea. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and like I knew when I was, when I first started it, I was confused by it, my role. And not, not, I feel like, like I've said before, I can write a better theater review in 20 to 30 minutes now than I could when I first started and I obviously spent a couple of hours on my first ones because you know you're new you want to prove that you're good you want it to be perfect um but it's volume the volume of doing so many was what really helped and really and yeah I mean obviously I took pride in it I tried to do them well they didn't if you don't try and do it well you're not going to improve yeah, right. If you don't take pride in your work, it's it's you're. I mean, you're just gonna go nowhere. You, you have to be trying to get better to get better. You should. You have. I don't know if you need to be trying to get better, but you do need to be trying to do it well. Yeah, at some so, point you have to care. So that's that can lead on to. So yeah, that was one of the best things I ever did for myself, or maybe the best thing I ever did for myself as a writer, sticking in with those reviews, even though. I was a bit confused, like, should I be doing this? Am I going, uh, is it right for me to go out and get free tickets? Like, I wasn't very good at <laughs> savaging people. I was like, you know. Well, it must have been hard just doing the I didn't want thing. to write critical reviews. Yeah. You know, I don't want to write them. So. And you're doing it, like, every day or, like, every yeah. so often. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it regularly. and But, yeah, I mean, it really helped me. So, volume, 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 volume. And that's why I say get up and do it. Because... There's this story that runs through the self-help literature. I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it gets the point across. Mm. Apparently, there's this college where they were teaching a pottery class, and they split the class into two groups. And one was meant to... Well, one was told, just work this week on creating the best pot you can. That's all you need to do, just try and do one really, really good pot. And the other group was told... Don't worry about the quality of them. Just get as much experience as possible. Make as many pots as you can. And obviously the point of the story is the second group that weren't told to focus on quality but volume mm. ended up producing much better pots than the first group who were told just try and make one the best you can. Really? So, Interesting. So I feel like that's also kind of what I wanted to take as an approach to this podcast when we started because I used to be so perfectionist and precious about things that I didn't even start them. So not just do it, but just do it a lot. 
yeah, just do it and just just get started. That's kind of what I meant by by just do it. Like yeah, because I know supposing we had twenty hours, we would get we would learn a lot more from recording ten hour long podcasts and doing ten hours of reflection than doing four hours of research for each podcast and doing four podcasts. So nice. so I wanted to take the approach of record and then reflect, listen to it, think what we can improve and improve that way rather than reflect a lot and record because... Well, when we started the podcast, mm-hmm. we, we had a really, really good idea. We, we, I mean, we had been talking, we had just been hanging out mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. writing ourselves for like... Right, go write um, yourself. Yeah, go write yourself. We had been go writing ourselves for yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, after we had doing that, when we found that we actually enjoyed it, you and I said to, to each other, we should have a podcast. Yeah. But instead of like you know screwing around and like thinking like oh we have to get all we have to prepare everything mm-hmm. and get all of this right you you're like oh i have a microphone mm-hmm. and i have a computer and uh and well you had already done this before which mm-hmm. helps but um yeah when you came over here and uh, we just decided to do it yeah. and we're still uh <laughs> yeah. screwing around learning yeah. how to do stuff yeah and yeah. I, I think that's a better way to learn and i know that from my previous experience when I first started a podcast, I thought maybe we'd do it once a month, and I spent a lot of time researching shows, and um, it didn't necessarily make it better, as anyone would hear if they went back to the beginning. The first ones were not the best ones, you know, the ones that we prepare, and the ones that I prepare, well, you know, sometimes I did some that were a lecture, and that, that was research and preparation, but by that point, I'd already had quite a lot of podcasting experience, so I could mm. have some notes, turn on the mic, turn on the cam, and start speaking around my bullet points. So experience, you you self-correct through experience. And hey, if people, if, if one day, a year from now, we've got 50 podcasts and we go back and we go, Oh, wow. I would hate to listen to the first podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. if we have those first and... 10 suck. Yes. Well, those first 10 that sucked. Well, that's good. I if, mean, they sucked we, for a reason, you we, know? If we listen back we and made say them, them suck, yeah. they suck. We that that means something that means it. that we got a lot better. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd have no way of right. identifying the fact that they suck. Yeah. I would feel like that would be a lot better, especially if you got better and you could say that like I did grow. Uh-huh. Then you didn't just keep sucking for no reason. Yeah. And that means that doesn't mean that you don't correct mistakes. But you know they say there's a another thing that goes through the self help literature which I like, which is if you want to be a success, you've got to double your rate of failure. Uh, that's very nice and the idea is do more stuff make more mistakes learn from your mistakes yeah i think it's important to to accept that because when i started writing or or when i started like wanting to get into writing i um i accepted a lot of uh bad things about myself because being an artist and and being a lot of creative people they Mm -hmm. often creative people often like won't start anything specifically because like they they want to hide that like mm-hmm. amount of perfection they right. want to hide that like perfect image that they have inside mm-hmm. of themselves if you can put it out there and realize that you're not going to get the perfect image the first time uh and if you can do that and say to yourself well fine uh, i'm i'm a failure right now but i won't be for forever then if you can get past that then you've started down the road of eventually being as good as you want to mm-hmm. be I think that that uh, opens up a whole gateway to to 
and a path of success that like you know everybody everybody needs to walk down yeah i've heard that like top chefs will not do make any pastries and or baking make desserts and things like that because it's a different set of skills yeah yeah and do you know what if they were like some third rate chef they'd be like who cares i'll make some cakes as well but because they've got this like top image of themselves as like excellent they don't want to suck at something yeah but that's that's kind of what i meant about your um well here baking, you're having baking is a little bit different than you, yeah you need to go through the suck phase with any skill yeah where you're you're not going to be able to reach your own standards like this is the thing i think it's good to to be aware of that and and to know that it, you know not just do it but just do it because just do it a lot like you said because yeah, just yeah. do it a lot is going to get you better more than doing it a little bit and infinitesimally mm-hmm. planning and thinking like i feel very happy about uh, uh doing this work for this clickbait website like i've said before you know it's not uh you know it's not what i want to be doing i'm not writing you know the great american novel mm-hmm. But uh, it is slowly, you know, getting me better. I I've noticed even like now mm-hmm. from like when I started uh, a year ago that like my quality and my uh, or I should say my frequency of quality has gone up. Mm-hmm. I will more frequently write a good article than uh, that I will uh, a bad one. Uh, and that's just that's just me looking at myself. You know, I don't measure my success by page views or uh, any way that the the website might do this. Although I will write for the website and try to get you know their uh, laurels every once in a while. But I will uh, I will look at the the stuff that I've written and like enjoy what I've written uh, and find that I'm doing it more often and that generally I'm just I. I, I I notice I can see within myself that like the the greater amount of skill that like just from writing every day sometimes you know, three or four of these articles in a day mm-hmm. has made me a better writer even though mm-hmm. I've written some crap I don't want anyone to see it but mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah I'm glad that I it's out there yes yeah, so you had the same experience that I had doing the Doing, doing the theater reviews, reviews. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm at that. I'm at that stage. I think mm-hmm. at the moment, I find it uh, to be very. Uh, it's like you know, it's like watering a plant. I think if I if I just keep on kind of doing this and waiting for the the plant to grow, I think you know steadily over a long period mm-hmm. of time, I'll find. I maybe I won't notice it in the moment, but uh, I will find that the plants you know, two feet bigger than mm-hmm. it was when I started watering it back mm-hmm. in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's that regular discipline. I had a similar experience when I went to see my friend's friend started a scratch night like for stand-up comedians basically to go up and do 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever they wanted, and practice new material. And I thought, oh, well, I'd like to do that. So after going once... I started to write and I didn't want to go up obviously because I wanted it to be perfect and then I had this ridiculous notion that you could practice it in your room and get my vocal tonality just mm-hmm. right so that I deliver all every line exactly the tone of voice that I wanted to do them and luckily the guy running it Reg now deceased rest in peace he did me a really good turn uh-huh. um he was like Anthony 
just go up and do it. And I was like, oh, no, but I'm not finished my set, you know. And he was like, just do it, just do it, and just do what you've got, you know. It's That's what the night's for, uh, and, and to improvise the rest. And I went up, and it was kind of like, thank God, because the moment I did it, I realized, all oh, right, this isn't something you can practice in your room. Yeah. And thank, and then I just tried to do as many five-minute gigs as possible, as quickly as possible, because I realized the only way I was going to get good at this, and don't get me wrong, I didn't want to be a professional stand-up comedian, I just like getting better at stuff. You know, it was very satisfying to see myself improve. I realized you don't have the same amount of control over your voice in front of an audience as you do at home, so you can't practice it to get the tonality just as you want it. Plus, you shouldn't be doing it that that way anyway, because you need to vary your tonality according to the room. You need to vary the... I mean, there's something about the whole experience that's entirely different. It's totally different. You need to choose how long you pause before you drop your punchline according Mm. to the room. And this is just something that cannot be done. It cannot be done on your own. There's something something mysterious about it. Possibly, and then, especially with performance, especially with performance. And then exactly, this, Reg also said, another good turn he did me, it was like, Anthony, you just need to go up and do crowd work. You're too wooden. You need to loosen up. Pushed me in front, got me to improvise. Uh, and, and he was right. And, oh, boy. And, and then, that and must yeah, have been scary. it was scary, but I made people laugh. And yeah. I realized, oh, shit, I could be funny. Yeah. Yeah, it could be spontaneously funny. And yeah, you know, if you've been around and you've bantered, in your life at all with your friends especially in glasgow oh god especially in glasgow there's a couple of jokes that you know you use every now and then so you can find a use for them they're always in your back pocket even when you're improvising and that and then and so that was so helpful and yeah i love i loved my little foray into stand-up comedy it definitely taught me a lot about delivering a joke in general yeah, um, I feel like with the with that sort of thing, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, I used to watch a podcast where, uh, you know, they they sort of do this uh, performance in front of a crowd and they just pick names out of a hat and right. like whoever can go up and do it. Um, but I mean, you'll you'll notice the difference between the people who like understand that like I mean, because comedy doesn't happen in your room and oh, you know, writing doesn't happen in your head. Like you're gonna have uh like the experience is more you know painting is is more than just seeing mm-hmm. like the experience of of creating your art happens in that moment and it's it's so much more than i mean it's the difference between theory and practice isn't it mm-hmm. you know it, it'll create uh like the art is is more than just the idea behind mm-hmm. what you want to give mm-hmm. so like when it comes to practicing something, uh, especially when it comes to practicing writing, I think uh, having that idea and, and putting your writing out, not even just, especially not just keeping your writing to yourself, you know, having your writing read by someone, I think it is an important part of this process. I think making it public in the same way that uh, you're making your comedy public is mm-hmm. is uh, is an important part of yeah, understanding you, you, yourself. It's like you, it doesn't matter how many books you read on riding a bike. You need to get on the bike and start riding. You need to yeah. feedback from the world. You need to interact in a mechanical way. Like you know, you need to try to turn and fall down every once in a while. Right, and and you you need feedback from the world. You need to be able to 
leave it there and then go and read it again in a week or two and reflect on it. And that's go, a that's a big see thing. it with a big uh, you know especially having a stranger eyes. read your writing. I mm-hmm. think is very good. If I if I can get someone to like the like this editor guy that mm-hmm. I have no idea. Uh, you know I've never met him before in my life. Um, but every once in a while he'll come back uh with an article I've written and say like oh. Ted, this is really great. Like, I really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. And, like, I thought it was a piece of crap. Right. I thought it was, like, you know, and then I, I'll i go back and look at that article and find out why did he think mm-hmm. this was good. And, like, where it, sometimes, it, sometimes it's, like, oh, he thought it was good because it was good search engine optimization. Mm-hmm. Or he thought it was good, uh, you know, structure in for research on the entertainment industry or something like that. But it... Other times it was good just because it entertained mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. And those are my favorite. Right. Those are my absolute favorite. Are there any specific things that you find out that was good because X, Y, or Z, which you then think, okay, I'm going to apply that more in the future? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a big... Uh, he gave me a lot of praise for an article I wrote. Um, I was trying to find it earlier, but I, I, I couldn't end up finding it. it it's it's too old to come up on the search but um what i did was i i took a uh i took an idea or it like did that like really simple thing like t- towards the beginning of like when i started writing for this clickbait thing did a really simple thing where you like you bury the lead mm-hmm. which in drama is, is terrible you don't mm-hmm. want to do that mm-hmm. but in in clickbait is great because you should expe- explain what bury the lead means for anyone. Oh, yes. Know. Yes, fair enough. Okay, burying the lead is uh, uh, hinting at an idea in the opening of your of your work. And then uh, instead of coming to it when uh, the time is right, you you end up sort of uh, hiding it or like it's like it, it's like mentioning a gun and then like not and then having a moment where you can shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. And then waiting like three scenes to like actually have the shot go off, mm-hmm. which yes, in drama is bad, but uh, in clickbait is good. When you say like, oh, uh, here's the one secret that makes uh, Brad Pitt a terrific actor, you're gonna you're gonna want to talk a bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. uh, and then tell the secret at the very very end of the article, mm-hmm. so they have to scroll all the way through your page, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a I mean you know horrible the thing about marketing but uh you know say la vie so when i did that kind of early on without really thinking about it he came back to me and said like oh this is what we want this is like what we're looking for and i was like why and he's like well it was good like search engine practice like you know you you you're gonna go and they're gonna get pulled in by your first paragraph and uh you know, search for what you're hinting at for this entire time. And then eventually at the end, like look for it and it's going to get you like a bigger rate of page views than it would otherwise. Uh, yeah, the article itself actually scored higher on, uh, on, uh, they give us like a little graph for everybody to kind of look at themselves. So it, it scored higher than my average article. It had a, it, uh, it, it had a bigger number of views than, than the other, other articles did, which, um, you know, for them is great. For me, it was like, oh, well, okay, that's mm-hmm. fine. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a tactic I use now mm-hmm. for uh, for certain things. All right. Okay. Yes. Mm. I mean, that's just one strategy. The other one is like, you know, 
putting something very inflammatory in your in your title or uh you know this opinion like either saying just like batman sucks and then having everybody here's why yeah batman sucks here's why and, and everyone all the nerds rush to your page and be like no batman doesn't suck and you'd be like haha i got you yeah no i wonder how many zillions of hours of people's lives are wasted over these like freaking trivial arguments that we used to get into like who's better metallic or megadeth except for it's now hey, on... that's an important argument <laughs> but it's now on tur- turbocharged due to twitter and i think uh, yeah i think i don't uh do that well i don't like twitter be- and i don't uh and no one reads my posts on twitter even though they're freaking hilarious mostly because i don't says e- the man writing yeah. the post yeah e- even though i don't i just think it's i don't engage in enough inflammatory dialogues with people more famous than me or make absolute statements as though i'm the law on everything <laughs> which which seems to make people rate well on twitter well i mean it's now like x how do you want to sell your soul you know basically that's what that's what your that's what social media is asking you you know it's like how badly do you want this attention like what are you willing to do to uh get more people to look at you and i mean yeah there's there's good ways and bad ways to do it and uh some ways some ways can get kind of violent just i guess their hobby is owning someone on twitter like what's what do you get out of what's the takeaway is anyone paying you you to own people five minutes of ego boost where you can say ah i'm better than someone for Mm. for five Mm. minutes and Mm. then it fades and it's like why am i so low now just just do crack people like you know just just smoke crack it it the high lasts for the same amount of time and you get the same amount of sadness afterwards it'll be fine and that and nobody else gets hurt it's just you Mm. (laughs) (laughs) by the way um just don't like to go right yourself oh yes please don't do the the uh the the opinions and ideas expressed in this podcast do not represent go right yourself llc (laughs) uh <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Your, your crack habits are your responsibility yeah and his crack habits are his yes i've never smoked crack by the way i'm just 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 gonna put that please don't smoke crack crack is bad uh don't do it uh it's not fun i've never done it but it doesn't look fun well i mean some people must find it <laughs> some people some people must find it great anyway let's, <laughs> let's get back on topic here okay uh well, I had to, uh, speaking of just You had a doing crack it, at? I had a crack at <laughs> screenwriting. Oh, you did? Yes. Excellent. Uh, very good transition there. Um, I had to, when I wanted to, uh, when I wanted to, I still want to be artistic in my writing. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll still do it. I, I like to write screenplays, mm. little pilots and uh, things like this. And when I decided to just do it, mm. I the first thing I, when I pulled up a document, I realized, oh my god, Microsoft Word doesn't end up in that format where you have, like, you know, Act 1, exterior, uh, baseball field, evening. Like, you, it, it doesn't give you that kind of straight away. Um, mm. I didn't know how to format a yeah. screenplay. Um so i had to do like and that was just like basic mm-hmm. like get off the ground kind mm-hmm. of stuff mm-hmm. um 
I had an idea and I didn't realize that I needed like a, a scaffolding mm-hmm. to, to put it on. Um, when I ended up finding, you know, like Rider Duet, which was free and fairly easy to use once you get the hang of it, you know, I ended up like I had to create this whole separate skill, like just to just to be able to do like just to be able to start my screenwriting hobby which ended up being quite fun like at first I was frustrated with it because it was like I shouldn't have to do this I should just be able to think and make art which Mm. you know I suppose if I wanted to use an AI I could but uh (laughs) when I got think and grow art think and do art is that (laughs) like think and grow rich think it you're thinking which is that a thing I wish that was think and grow Think and Grow Rich is one of the seminal self-help books on making a lot of money and manifestation and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. But like Think and Do Art. I Think like and that. Do Art. That's a good book. You should write that. I should write that. You should just do it. I should just do it. I probably won't, but I... <laughs> um, but not because he's... Not because I'm lazy. Not because he's shying away from the challenge. Just because he prioritizes other things. Yes, That's I don't. a big difference. Yes, that is a big difference. I don't want to write a self-help book. I, mm-hmm. I'd rather do the art but it's a good title for anyone who does want to write a self-help book yes think and do art steal it it's yours have it yeah uh anyway on screenwriting (laughs) eventually another good name another good name for a book anyway on screenwriting screenwriting, yeah you're just uh i get it i'm just a title generator yeah man you are that's me that's yeah yeah you can have that one too the when i ended up kind of putting it together i found out like you know, dealing with story structure was much different that way. Uh, there were a lot of uh, different things compared to like writing prose and writing essays, which I had done in school. Um, and so I had to sort of like just teach myself, the, you know, the very basics of, you know, writing a screenplay or, or writing a, a pilot script or something. And yeah, one thing I found uh, was that uh, I could do what I, I discovered people called this something a spec script mm. which was it, it just stands for a speculative script okay. where you're gonna write uh you write like a script for a show uh that's it's typically a tv show that's like that already exists mm-hmm. um but you're just writing it kind of hypothetically and you know you do everything and you kind of like copy the characters and you try to write to the best of your ability in the voice of uh everything that like it's like writing an episode of friends mm-hmm. uh even though you already know everything about friends mm-hmm. so it that it's just like a way to practice right or and it ends up being a good thing if you're going to apply for a screenwriter job mm-hmm. to to bring to an executive and say like look I can do this here's like, my spec script here's my spec script for this it doesn't have to exist ever, but like this shows you that I have the ability mm-hmm. uh, to do what I did. And uh, of course, being uh, a 18 to 35 uh, white male, uh, I love Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I ended up writing a spec script for a Rick and Morty episode um, that I ended up submitting to a contest, which I haven't heard back from, so I'm not worried about it anymore. Um, but it is probably, I mean, it's, the script is just a piece of crap. You know, it's not very good. You're really selling it here. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm just, you know, really trying to, uh, 
prove to you that I'm an excellent writer. But I did it. I sat down and I wrote what turned out to be about 30 pages of a Rick and Morty episode that, you know, works, tries, I try to make it just as meta as Rick does and or as, as Dan Harmon does and uh, try to make it just as funny in the same type of way and just as silly. It ends up being, I mean, I wrote it like the day before uh, a, an episode in like season six mm-hmm. came out. Uh, wow, they're on to six seasons already. Well, they're on the se- seven seasons wow, now, crazy. I think. I think it's coming out like I'm way behind. In a couple of weeks. But uh, before an episode of season six came out, I wrote this. And then like, what's funny is that a scene that I wrote in my spec script ended up in this episode that came out the day after I finish it. Yeah, it was hilarious. Like some wow. kind of strange... How is that even possible? Well, it's not... I mean, it's not possible. It's not a scene, but, like, I added a piece of... Uh, it just sort of, like, fanfare, like par- like a parody bit that just ended up, like, you know... that, that And they, they did the same type of parody in the episode... Wow, crazy! Yes, so it's very funny. So, wow, do you wanna do you wanna help me read that parody uh, in this moment? Well, let me let me give you some context first. Uh, there, so like the 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 episode is about Chekhov's gun. Okay. Which is for all you listeners out there is just a which you briefly referenced before without without you, you buried of, the lead. I buried the lead. You buried I did. the lead. I did, didn't I? Ha ha ha! See, I am a good writer. Excellent. Um. So you you basically, if a gun shows up in your play, it has to be fired before the end of the play. Right. Um, that's that con from Anton Chekhov. And those of you who have read of Mice and Men by Jim Steinbeck, um, you might notice that as a uh, that's in, Jim that's Steinbeck. In John Steinbeck, something oh, okay. his friends affectionately known <laughs> as oh, Jim. Oh really? Yes. Oh, I did not know this. Commonly and widely. Huh. So. <laughs> no people are googling that to see I, if i'm telling the truth or not and right. like i just said jim steinbeck we're gonna find, and, i'm not even yeah, sure if you're telling yeah. the truth or not i could just be winging it yeah you guys will, you guys yeah i'm i'm, I'm not uh anyway there's no reveal on that one so <laughs> uh yeah uh was a, one, one of the things where there's various things littered throughout the early scenes of the play <clears throat> and someone sees a gun and they talk about shooting a dog in the back of the head to mm. put put it out of its misery. Mm. And uh, the the owner of the dog does not want to does not want the dog to does not want to sacrifice his dog. Yeah. Um. When this comes and 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 it's a very sad and moving scene that only foreshadows what's to come later in the book. No spoilers. Right. Okay. Well. Uh. Here, uh, in this Rick and Morty episode about Chekhov's gun, uh, <laughs> here we're just gonna have a scene, uh, where, uh, Jerry kind of, like, stumbles into Rick's garage, and... Or garage, as we say in the UK. Or garage, uh, yeah. and, uh, just ends up kind of mucking around. Um, I'll read, uh, I'll read the Jerry parts. And okay. uh, and the the action kind of things, and then you just read like everybody else. There's like, okay. there's a variant of characters, so I'll let you do that. Okay. Um, interior, Rick's garage. Jerry goes out into the garage and starts looking around. 
All right. Wrench. Can't be that hard to find. Jerry looks at the panoply of sci-fi stuff that Rick has sitting on his workbench. He starts digging his way through some stuff and knocks something over. Green Splorg falls out over the ground and materializes into a knight on a horse. Jerry, oh no! I'll be important later! Hiya! And the knight gallops off. Alright. Uh, Jerry notices the wrench that Rick threw on the ground on his way to try and escape the story. From earlier, that happened in an earlier scene. Uh, ah, there it is! Uh, Jerry walks over and picks up the wrench. Instantly... The firefighter, also from earlier, appears. Excuse me, sir. You have to help us quick. Our ladder is broken and we need to save that lady. He points to the burning house that we also saw earlier. Uh, Jerry's, oh, uh, of course. Jerry runs over and fixes the ladder with a single wrench turn. Uh, the ladder goes up and a firefighter is able to pull the lady from the burning window. Thank you, young man. The old lady kisses him on the cheek. Uh, then the father shows up. Father. Please, sir, can you help my son get to his graduation? Shift over to the shot of a broken car and a sad son sitting inside. Uh, Jerry says, well, I don't know much about cars, but uh, hey, why not? Jerry opens the hood again, uh, the hood of the car, and with one miraculous wrench turn, the car is up and running. The son pops in the car and drives up, drives off. They said if I had one more absence on my record, they wouldn't let me graduate. Then, a giant robot shows up. I am Boltbot. Only wrenches can defeat me. Jerry looks up at the robot and down at the wrench in his hand. Well, Boltbot, it looks like you're about to meet your match. Jerry's eyes narrow as we begin a Sailor Moon-type sequence where the wrench transforms Jerry into Sailor Wrench. Wrench fixing power! We see Jerry uh, and his sailor wrench form as he begins a big anime battle with the robot. Uh, so, nice. yeah. The scene and scene. Uh, <laughs> so, you can see how that might have been like a little bit clunky. Uh, the way we did it, well. The way we did it was excellent, yes, yeah. obviously. No. Well, I mean, it was clunky the way that we did it, but what you're trying to do... But what you're trying to do would be better understood if people sat down with the script and could see that you're aiming at some devices here. Yeah, I think, well, obviously, if if there, if you need to provide context, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to make you sit here and read 30 pages of mm -hmm. script. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, the, the Sailor Moon sequence, uh, when I sat down to watch Rick and Morty the next day, mm -hmm. uh, is what they put in the episode. This is a Sailor Moon... Sequence. With Jerry, yeah. Oh, that's Sailor Moon sequence with Weird. Jerry. So obviously that was just like a big coincidence, like like for that to happen at the same time. But uh, I thought it was kind of ironic. Well, talk about your use of Chekhov's gun there, or putting in things that then become important later. Right. So like the whole obviously like the gag here is that everything that happens. Uh, you know, Rick and Morty go into like an alternate universe and everything that happens in that universe is a Chekhov's gun. So like if it gets mentioned in the script um, and it, like everything here will get mentioned in the script and seem insignificant uh, until like maybe later in that scene or like one or two scenes later, like everything comes back. There's like there there's one sequence I have where 
like Rick and Morty are just are basically like running through a street, um, basically like tripping over stuff, and mm-hmm. then they find that like they have to turn around and they go back and like all of the stuff they tripped over like has consequences. Right. Okay. So, um, like it's it's just that sort of thing. Like if you obviously if you read it from the beginning, you would like there would be the exposition, like the realization that this is a problem, and then like the obvious gag of like, oh, here's the actual gun. Mm-hmm. And then uh kind of moving through the moving through the multiverse trying to escape this I mean, because what they are doing is trying to escape the gag. Like, oh, right. Okay. That's yeah. really clever. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I always think of that as very good, neat, tidy writing when everything ties into a main theme or comes back or there's not too much redundancy. I think the the short story is the medium that most tends towards thinking you shouldn't waste a single sentence. Everything is supposed to be relevant to the plot. And I think one thing that's kind of suffered from the fact that shows, like a thing called House of Cards, when they brought that Mm. out, I really loved the first two seasons. And I assumed naively back then that they already had planned what they were going to do with all the plot strands that they opened. Oh, yeah. But what I think that, see, TV has really suffered because they have this thing where they just hand shows from writer to writer to writer, and everything's done to a formula where they open up plot strands and go, well, someone else will figure out what to do with that later. And that um, seriously makes the quality of writing a lot more poor. That's probably why the Marvel Universe is suffering so much as well. right, exactly. Now, if you're a really, really great writer, when you open a plot strand, you know how it's going to resolve later, and that allows you to sprinkle clues throughout the plot. And but you people know, don't get the opportunity mm-hmm. to do that anymore. No, you're no. allowed to open something, and then like, and then you basically leave someone holding a, a you literally leave someone holding a lit bomb. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's like. Yeah. Here's and, a bomb, I'm going to light it, and then now you have to deal with it. And the shows end up really, really unsatisfactory because someone just finds a way to close some of those loops. Yeah. And usually when shows finish, they leave a ton of loops open. Yeah. Like, I had some um, shows, like, uh, I, lo- I loved these big space operas, like, and I always assumed that they were going to close all the loops. And they never did. And I was like, what a bunch of lazy bastards. Right? <laughs> you know, why would you just drag that out? No, I, I, and I guess I was naive. So I, that's kind of like, I love novels um, because they, they've got well, like you can a take good branch off in yeah. all kinds of places. Uh, one of the things I thought was um, like, I really liked um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the New Galaxy books and all, the, all of the mediums. Classic. But, yeah, but I didn't like how Douglas Adams was so messy and didn't tie up his loose ends. And I remember reading an article, uh, an interview where he said, a lot of people were surprised that I never wrote things ahead because I picked up old strands and put them together, but I was just kind of improvising. I was like, yeah, I could tell you fucker. Huh? But, <laughs> but, but he did pull the rabbit out of the hat because he wrote a really amazing novel called Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I and he really it. does tie up all the strands at the yes. end. Yes. And it is like one of the best, most satisfying ends to any novel I've ever written. And I wonder... If... Oh, did you write it? Yeah. No, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's <yeah>. very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I was just like... 
I was wowed by it. And I did wonder if he did that just to prove that he could do it after yeah. years of not and years of writing books where he didn't do it. But it, it was really super satisfying. Well, I think in the mystery genre, especially, you mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. like you have to tie everything mm-hmm. up, or mm-hmm. it's it's like, oh no, this is this is gonna come back and bite you somehow. Yeah. But and so, it, it's yeah. just like but douglas adams doing that like i think does it in in such a comical and like yeah. such a unique way and so clever and it's one of these books with a double twist you know you get the twist and you almost forget that he le- left one strand hanging and then he ties that up a, a, as well <laughs> in the last page and you're like wow no. you're just like left sitting there wowed so that was a good one uh, yeah. yes yeah, yeah i agree i'm gonna have to read that because mm-hmm. of I saw the Netflix series. But, oh, I've uh, never seen. I've never seen. It's the show. pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, wait. I think I watched. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's definitely like seriously underrated. Mm. I would say. Interesting. Yes. Um, I would definitely agree with that. But the important thing is that, like, when you're creating these things and and, and you're creating these storylines, uh, is that not only that you like you see it through, but yeah. that yeah, you get it all the way uh you know tied up at the end like yeah. no matter no just matter what yeah just do it but you can you, you can when, when you go more towards the end you can go back to the beginning and you can start saying like oh later on i found this about the character yeah so you go back this is the good thing about the written medium as opposed to having put out six shows and having to write another six <laughs> you can go back and you can plant seeds you can put in your Chekhov's yeah. guns you can put in your clues that's one of the things that I really like. You doing. can find something you might not yeah. expect from yourself. You might exceed your own expectations. Ah, yes, you may. Even if you don't, you'll learn something. Yeah. Kind of keep it on a positive vibe <laughs> there. So I think that's positive. I think that's positive enough. Yes. So just do it. Just do it.